Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the privilege of sharing God's Word with you today. If you're uh, tuning in from home, thanks for coming and spending some time with us. We are uh, honored that you're with us. We know that people uh, watch online from uh, not only here in Harrisburg, but actually across the country and across the world, and uh, that's kind of humbling to think about that. So, uh, I'm going to be sitting again. My, my leg is still not where it needs to be quite yet, hopefully in a, a couple more weeks. Uh, but let me just take a moment. I want to, uh, I know Pastor Ben prayed, I just want to pray for a second, and, uh, and then we'll dive into the message. Uh, Lord God, we come before you this morning, and uh, Father, uh, what I have uh, to share uh, this morning, what you have laid on my heart through the balance of this week, uh, Heavenly Father, is heavy and hard. Uh, Lord, I pray that it would be uh, communicated uh, with grace and love, uh, but filled with truth, Heavenly Father. I pray that our hearts would be soft to receive it. And uh, Lord, would you guide us uh, in the upcoming days and weeks and months and allow us and enable us and empower us, Heavenly Father, to live uh, like people who have uh, been forgiven of their sins. Might we be people who forgive others and it's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, during the early morning hours of November 21st, 2016, in Panama City, Florida, uh, a 32, I got to back up here a little bit or I won't be able to see you guys over there. So a uh, 32-year-old woman named Alana Savelle and her boyfriend, Ben, were entertaining some friends. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, there was another couple who had come over, uh, they're sharing some, some beers together in the early morning hours, and they're having a good time. But as time passed, uh, Alana's friends got a little exuberant, a little loud, uh, and, and she was ready for them to leave. And so uh, she asked them once to leave, and then she asked them twice to leave, and then she asked them a, a third time to leave, and every time the people just simply uh, rebuffed her requests. And Alana uh, grew more and more and more angry as this time went by, as these people continued to ignore what she had to say. Uh, so she gets so angry that upon uh, the recommendation of her, ben, her, her boyfriend, Ben, she goes into her room, she grabs a, a, 20, uh, a 22 caliber handgun, and she begins to shoot at her friend's feet. Now, you can imagine what her friends are doing. They're, they're obviously uh, afraid they can't get out of the house soon enough, so they're scrambling to, to run out of the house. Well, unfortunately, Alana misses the floor, and she shoots both of her friends in the leg, and she also manages to hit her boyfriend in the leg. And when the police arrive... Alana said to the police officers, and this is a quote, I know I was wrong for shooting at them, but when I started shooting, I just couldn't stop. Now, if you're like me, you kind of shake your head, and you're like, who does that? I mean, who allows their anger to, to boil up to such a degree that they do these incredibly stupid and hurtful things. Well, you know the sad answer is? Far too many of us actually do that. At the risk of stating the obvious, uh, 
We live in a, a culture that is very, very angry right now. And uh, because of that anger, they do a lot of incredibly stupid things. Uh, our unchecked anger has become commonplace in our government. It's become commonplace in our media. It has been common, become commonplace in our, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods. Uh, it's common on our roads, unfortunately. Many of us probably have experienced that. Uh, in our schools, in our families, in our, in our churches, and perhaps most of all, in our posts and in our tweets. And when that, with that anger comes some incredibly sinful behavior. Sinful behavior that hurts people in all kinds of different ways. It, it hurts people uh, relationally and physically and emotionally and spiritually. Uh, those sinful behaviors, they don't only hurt other people, they actually hurt us. And it also hurts our Christian testimony. And in the next few days and weeks to come, I believe that things are going to get far, far worse. Uh, our nation, we're sitting on a, on a powder keg that is waiting to explode. And regardless of how this general election goes, just as Pastor Ben prayed, uh, there are going to be a lot of people who are more than just unhappy there are going to be a lot of people who are crazy angry. And that anger has its, the potential to manifest itself in some incredibly destructive ways. And as men and women who, who claim to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we need to carefully consider how God is calling us to behave and how God is calling us to respond in the midst of all of this, regardless of the outcome. Will we be peacemakers? Will our actions be guided by God's word? Will, will our actions be controlled by the spirit of God? Will we be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry? Will, will, when we're attacked, will we turn the other cheek or will we fight back? Will we consider others better than ourselves? Will we humbly yet steadfastly stand for the cause of justice? Will we, we manage our anger in, in such a way that we, we don't sin in the midst of it? Will we hold fast to God's sovereignty in the midst of disappointment and confusion? Or will we surrender to our anger? Will we lash out at others in the midst of our disappointment? Will we vent our, our frustrations on, on Facebook or will we gloat on Twitter? Will we attack our brothers and sisters who, who don't agree with us? Will we leave our church family because we can't find the grace and the compassion and the forgiveness and the love within ourselves to worship with other people who don't necessarily see things the same way that we see with one another. You see, how you and I respond in the coming days and weeks and months, they're they going to speak volumes about our Christian character. 
It is going to speak volumes about how much we actually do love God's people. And it will speak volumes about how much we are willing to obey God's word, regardless of the circumstances in our world. And to help us consider all of this today, I want to show you the great cost that comes when we choose to sin in the midst of our anger. Now, I find it to be very providential that our series through the book of Genesis has brought us to this very particular passage, Genesis chapter 49, verses 5 through 7, at this time, because this passage deals directly with the consequences of responding in sinful ways out of our anger. Now, I say it's providential for this reason. Uh, If you've been coming to Living Water for any length of time, you know that we plan our our message series a, a year in advance. As a matter of fact, all of next year is already planned. But one of the things that happens when you plan things a, a year in advance, you need to remember that there, there are going to be times you've got to tweak things because unforeseen circumstances come up. Like the inevitable snowstorm or the occasional global pandemic. And so that's what we had to do. Over, over the course of of this past year, we radically changed our, our sermon series because we wanted to encourage our people and, and you guys in, in the midst of this. And, and so what I'm speaking on today is something we're going to speak about probably in July of this past year. And I'm just wondering if God is ultimately trying to teach us something by delaying this message till today. So, so let's get started. If you have a Bible with you, uh, Open your Bible up or turn your, or tune in on your Bible app or whatever you do with a Bible app to Genesis chapter 47, verses 5 through 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles scattered around the tables in the room. If, if you're at home and you don't have a Bible, uh, it'll be up on the, on the screen for you. Uh, Genesis 49, verses 5 through 7. If you're able to stand, uh, would you do so in honor of God's word and even at home if you would do so? starting in verse 5 of Genesis 49. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men. And in their willingness or willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So from this passage, we're going to discover a couple things that that occur when we sin in the midst of anger. There's some costs that come along when they happen, when when we do this. When we're angry and we sin, there are some costs that, that have to be paid. And there's three costs that I've come up with. One is a societal cost, one is a spiritual cost, and one is a personal cost. There's a societal cost, a spiritual cost, and a personal cost. Now, at this point in Genesis, we we know that Jacob is on his deathbed. And he has gathered his sons together to to individually uh, bless them 
and to also speak prophecy over them based upon some of the things that they had done in their past. And from last week's message, Mike Bongo uh, showed us that Reuben, who was the, the firstborn, uh, who slept with Jacob's wife, Billa, uh, would not have preeminence over his brothers. We found that out. That was the, the first prophecy that, that Jacob spoke over uh, the boys, specifically Reuben. And because of his sinful actions, he forfeits his, his firstborn status as the firstborn son. And it is, you kind of think about it, it's amazing what one night of sexual immorality will cost you. Now that's a message for, for another evening, but it's a good reminder for all of us. Very, very costly. Now, in the passage that we just read, Jacob is now uh, speaking prophecy over Simeon and Levi, his number two and his number three sons. And I would imagine that Simeon and Levi are pretty pumped going into this right now because they've just heard Reuben get kicked to the curb, the number one guy get kicked to the curb, and now i got to imagine they're thinking, whoa, now we're going to not be two and three, now we're going to be one and two. But they don't have to listen to their dad very long to find out that's not what dad's plan is. Because Jacob is going to remind them of their sin, sin that he never really ever dealt with earlier. But he's going to deal with their sin right now. But what was their sin that Jacob describes as a sin of violence, anger, wrath, cruelty, and death? Well, it occurred back in Genesis chapter 34 when Simeon and Levi were much younger. Back then, their father, Jacob, he foolishly decided to settle his family in the midst of a pagan people called the Hivites. He decided that's where he was going to settle down. Now let me read you a portion of chapter 34 to give you some background of what's going on here. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Now, can you imagine this? This guy rapes your daughter, rapes your sister, and then he has the audacity to come and ask for her hand in marriage. I mean, there are some sick people in this world. This guy is one of them. Now, is it any wonder that, that Simeon and Levi and the balance of the brothers were indignant and very angry? And this is not surprising 
at all. Their anger, it's completely justified. I mean, if you don't get angry over something like that, you're as sick as the guy who's actually committed the crime in the first place. There's this great injustice that's been inflicted on their sister. They're furious. And as a result, they, they have righteous anger. And nobody at all could blame them for their righteous anger. But here is where they go off the rails. Here's where their righteous anger morphs into sin. In response to the request, the request that Dinah be, be given in marriage, Simeon and Levi and the brothers, they initiate an evil plan. Let me read it to you. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. So rather than punishing their sister's rapist, Shechem, the brothers Instead, they hatch a plan to punish all the male Hivites. That's the game plan. They're like the hijackers who, who flew the airplanes into the buildings on 9-11. You see, the brothers' plan, it's, it's diabolically brilliant. That's what the hijackers, they had a diabolically brilliant plan. A, a, a plan completely Ill, brilliant, but a plan that was completely evil. And so they tell Hamor that they will give Dinah in marriage to his son if and only if he circumcises all of the men in his kingdom. The king agrees. Sounds like a great plan. So he gathers all the guys together. He circumcises his men. And three days later, while they're still recovering from this very painful procedure performed at the Hivite Outpatient Surgery Center, Simeon and Levi attack and kill all the men. And then their brothers swoop in. And they take all the Hivite children, the wives, the flocks, and the possessions. So what does that tell us about sin flowing out of anger? First of all, Whenever sinful actions flow out of our anger, the sin doesn't just affect us. It affects other people, and as such, there is a societal cost. You see, the, the anger of Simeon and, and Levi drives them to not only punish the rapist, but to, to mercilessly kill all of the men in the city. However, they don't stop there. In those other verses that we read, 28 and 29, it says, Then they took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones, all their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Simeon and Levi, in their anger, they respond to great sin with, with even greater sin. They don't punish just one guy. They punish an entire community. Now, I get that there is a huge difference between Western cultures 
and Eastern cultures. In a Western culture like you and I live in right now, we're very individualistic. Okay, when Mike Leonzo sins, it's on Mike Leonzo. It's not on anybody else. It's Mike Leonzo. Okay, but in an Eastern culture, when Mike Leonzo sins, that, that sin is, is a sin of his family. It's a sin against, of his entire community. So I get the difference that's going on here. So, and I understand how a community, an entire community, can get implicated in the sin of just one person. I get that. But Simeon and Levi's sin went way beyond that. And don't just take my word for it. Listen to what their dad says. Because Jacob makes a proclamation about what happens here. He gives his perspective on it. And it's in verse 40, or chapter 49, verse 6. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willingness they, willfulness they hamstrung oxen. oxen. You see, because of their great sin, because of their evil outreach, or overreach, Jacob would have absolutely nothing to do with his boys. This was not a community issue. This was an individual issue, but they made it a community issue. And we see this exact same behavior playing out in our culture on a regular basis. You see, like Levi and Simeon, we tend to group people into large bunches. When one member of a group sins against us or somebody that we love, our natural tendency is not to go after the one person anymore. Our natural tendency is we go after the entire group. Let me give you some examples. Are there bad actors in police departments who need to be brought to justice? Absolutely. No question about it. But there are many, many, many more honorable police officers. Yet our society tends to demonize all police officers because of the evil acts of a small group of police officers. Let me give you another one. Are there men who treat women poorly? Absolutely. I unfortunately have to deal with my fair share of them more than I ever thought I would ever have to. But the fact of the matter is this. There are many good men who are good husbands and good fathers and good grandfathers and good uncles, yet our society tends to demonize men. Here's another one. Are there people who are racists? You better believe it. But just because one person or multiple people mistreat us based on the color of our skin or the accent of our voice or the balance of our checking account doesn't make it right for us to lump an entire group of people together who have never done anything racist in the same category. You see, when we denounce, when we denigrate, 
or when we attack an entire group of people based on the actions of one or, or more bad actors within that group, society suffers. And we are no different than Simeon and Levi who punished an entire city for the sins of a single man. But folks, there is more than just the societal cost that comes when we allow our anger to turn into sinful action. There's a spiritual cost. You see, what's the critical component of these guys' plan? What's the centerpiece of, of Simeon and Levite's plan? It, it's, it's circumcision. Look at, at verses 14 through 17 of Genesis 34. Jacob's son said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and, be, and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we'll take our daughter and we'll be gone. You see, Simeon and Levi and their brothers, they knew that, that by requiring the Hivite men to be circumcised, that they would be in so much pain that they would not be able to defend themselves. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verses 25 and 27. On the third day, when they were sore, big understatement, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with a sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. What is really happening here? What actually is occurring? Simeon and Levi are taking that which is holy. The, the, the act of circumcision, the, the gift which God had commanded to be done to every Hebrew child when they were eight, years, eight days old. And they're taking that thing that is to be holy and they're using it for evil. Since the time of Abraham, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. It was something that was, was designed to remind the Hebrew people that they were to be different than all of the other pagan peoples around them. And what God intended to be a sign of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in their anger, Simeon and Levi, they used as a weapon of war. You know what would be the equivalent here in the 21st century? It would be bringing someone who you hate to living water and having them participate in the Lord's Supper that you had poisoned. Or it would be me bringing a, a someone who I don't like and, and talking them into being baptized and me drowning them when I baptized them. That's what happened. They took that which was holy and they ultimately used it for evil. And tragically, there are times when we are guilty of doing the exact same thing. Rather than using God's word to bless other people, we use it to destroy them or we use it to control them and we do it especially when we are an angry people. 
Let me give you an example. I've been reading uh, a very thought-provoking book by a man by the name of Esau McCauley. He, he's a black man. He is an evangelical priest in the Anglican Church in North America. The book is called Reading While Black. And the purpose of him writing the book is, is to help us examine how the Bible speaks about topics like ethnicity and political protest and policing and slavery, which tend to get overlooked in the 21st century church. And in the book, he, he talks about how 17th, 18th, and 19th century Christians use the Bible to justify slavery. You see, slave-justifying Christians, they would come along and they would use uh, Paul's New Testament letter to, to the slaveholder Philemon to justify slavery. And in his letter, Paul requests Philemon to receive back his, his fugitive slave, Onesimus, who, who had run away. He, he requests that, that Onesimus, he tells Onesimus, you need to go back to Philemon. And he tells Philemon, you need to receive Onesimus. And, and they use that as justification for slavery. But what the part they leave out is when Paul tells Philemon, receive him no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. They'd also use passages like Colossians 3, slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Or Ephesians 6, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. They would use those passages to justify slavery. But that's not all they would do. These dudes were so twisted back in the 16th or the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries that they would evangelize slaves. And when the slaves would come to faith in Jesus, they bring a, a, a white pastor into the plantation to evangelize the slaves. When the slaves would come to faith in Jesus Christ, they would teach them a catechism. Now, many of you may not be familiar with catechism, but catechism is an instructional method where, where the, the teacher will ask a question and the student will have a, have a, a, a reply to the question. And it helps you learn things like theology and, and church history and things like that. So here are a couple of the questions that, that, that the white pastors used in the catechism class with the slaves who'd come to faith in Christ. Buckle your seatbelts, this is not pretty. Question. Who gave you a master and a mistress? Here's what the slave was to answer. God gave them to me. Who say that you must obey them? Here's what the slave who's become a Christian is to answer. God says that I must. What book tells you these things? The answer, you guessed it. The Bible. But they didn't stop there. They left out huge portions of Scripture. They would never teach that Genesis tells us that all people are created in the image of God. Never would teach that. 
They would never teach that, that God is a God of freedom. They would never teach the central themes of the Old Testament, like God rescuing the Hebrews from slavery. They would never teach those things. Nor would they teach about Jesus' teachings on justice and mercy. And they would conveniently leave out passages like Galatians 3. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. That was what was going on there. And you know what? Tragically, Christians today, they use Scripture to selectively hurt others, especially when we're angry. Have you ever witnessed the spiritual venom that is spewed between those who are Calvinistic or Reformed and those who are not? How about those who who believe in in, in the, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues and those who believe that that spiritual gift has has passed away? Or how about those who believe that, that, that women should serve in, in roles as pastor, elder, and those who, who believe that women shouldn't serve in roles as pastor and elder? Or better yet, what about the spiritual beatings that regularly occur on Facebook and Twitter between Christians who like President Trump and Christians who like Joe Biden? You see, everybody comes with their well-rehearsed verses and they're carefully developed theological arguments. And they are so quick to flog the other as they trample over verses like Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You see, when we allow sin to flow from our anger, many times there will be a spiritual cost because we will use God's word to destroy other people. But there is a final cost, and it is a personal cost that ultimately flows from one generation to another. You see, rather than receiving a blessing from dad, Simeon and, Jake, or Simeon and Levi received something far different. Look at verse 7 of chapter 49. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. You see, as a a result of their fierce anger that manifested itself in cruel wrath, Simeon and Levi, they receive a curse rather than a blessing. And what's the curse? Well, the Bible tells us that that they will be divided in Jacob and scattered in Israel. What in the world does that mean? It means that that when the, the, the Hebrews eventually inherit the promised land, when that day eventually comes, some 400 years later, and when all of the land is divided up amongst the tribes, amongst the brothers, it means that Simeon and Levi aren't going to get any of that. And that's ultimately exactly what happens. Levi's tribe, the Levites, 
they get no land. They, they get sent away in, to, to live in 34 uh, cities, or sorry, 48 cities throughout the land. They don't get any land at all. Simeon's ancestors, the Simeonites, they get a tiny speck of land which is ultimately encompassed or landlocked by the land that's given to Judah. And over time, they just get absorbed into Judah. And have we ever considered the personal costs that we and our family will have as a result of sin that flows from our anger? Has your anger-driven sin or my anger-driven sin ever cost us a friend or a spouse or a job or the respect of, of co-workers or neighbors? Perhaps our anger-driven sin has cost us a, a relationship with a, a sibling or a parent or a child. I can't count the number of people over the last 20 years who told me that they're not talking to a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister. It's horrible. Why did that happen? Undoubtedly, it came because there was sin that flowed from anger. And have we ever considered what would be the long-term ramifications of our anger-driven sin to our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. You see, there is always, always, always a personal cost to us and to those who we love when we choose to sin out of anger. Now, as I said in the beginning, I realize... This is a heavy message. You probably want to turn off your, your computer screen at home, you know? Like, I don't need this. But I would do you a great disservice if I stopped there. Because judgment isn't the end of their story. And that certainly wasn't the end of the story for the Levites. You know, even though they never received land, God in his kindness, in his mercy, in his love, gave them the privilege of being priests in God's service. They're the ones who do what food does. And Pastor Paul, lead people in worship. They were the ones who do what, what, what Bongo and Pastor Ben and, and, and I do uh, to share God's word. Uh, they, they were the ones who, who uh, offered sacrifices as atonement for people's sins. But, but God didn't just stop there. Out of the Levites, God created incredible leaders. Moses, Aaron, the first high priest, Ezra, who, who God used to write one of the books of the Old Testament, but perhaps most notable of all is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. And Jesus would say, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. 
How can that be? How can judgment ultimately turn into blessing? Folks, it only occurs through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only way it happens. There isn't a single person in this room, there's not a single one of you watching at home right now who hasn't blown it. There's not a single one of us who in the midst of our anger hasn't sinned, who who probably has caused catastrophic damage to other people. Every one of us, because of our sinful response and our anger, have contributed to the societal, spiritual, and personal pain that is all too well known in this land. There is not a single one of us that is not guilty. We have helped create this mess that we're in right now. And as a result, like Simeon and Levi, we all deserve God's wrath, God's destruction. That's what we deserve. Yet God in his mercy, yet God in his grace, he gives us Jesus. Jesus comes and he takes upon himself the wrath that God has against our sin. And while we're in the midst of our anger and we're sinning against large groups of people, ignoring the log in our own eye and happily calling out the speck in everybody else's eye, and while we're in the midst of our anger and we're using God's word to to justify our own sinful actions and in the process hurting other people, many who are fellow believers, and while we're in the midst of our anger and we're inflicting pain on ourselves, and on generations yet to be born, while all that's happening, Jesus is dying on the cross. He's seeing all of it. You know, we're so trapped in time. We're like, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, Jesus is above time. He, he, He sees it all. On that cross, he's paying for sins I haven't even committed yet. That's what's going on. It's the righteous dying in the place of the unrighteous, crying out what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's why we need the gospel, because left to our own devices, we will destroy everything in our path, and we will think that we are doing good in the midst of it. But when we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, He forgives the sin that flows from our anger. And many times, he graciously restores that which we've destroyed in our society, in our church family, in our personal lives. And in these very, very uncertain turns, times, may we really be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry, and slow to hit that keyboard. And may we offer the hope and forgiveness and grace to other people that Jesus has so, 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 so richly given every one of us. Let's pray. Lord God, We are a hot mess. Lord, our world is completely spinning out of control. Father, the 
this virus that has, has ravaged nations and communities and have set people against one another, that's destroyed economies. Lord, the, the political vitriol that is going on right now that is beyond the pale. Lord, the, the inability for us to be able to discern truth from falsehood in, in media. Lord, it, it, it just seems like nothing is going to get better. And Lord, it's so easy to get sucked into all of this stuff. And Father, I pray that Heavenly Father, as those who, who have been bought by the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who, who, uh, whose body was, was destroyed for our sins, Heavenly Father, who loved us while we were yet sinners, I pray, Heavenly Father, that, that we would be different, that we would be different people, that we would not respond in kind, that, that Lord, regardless of what happens Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever it is, whenever it stops, whenever it's over, that regardless, Heavenly Father, that we would remember that you are on the throne. You are the one who establishes rulers. You are the one who tears them down. And you are our hope. And God, might we be peacemakers. And Lord, most of all, might we love our brothers and sisters. Not attack them. And may we come together, Heavenly Father, to share the hope that we have with a world who's putting their hope in what happens on Tuesday. God, would you enable us to walk alongside those who will either be destroyed or who will be overjoyed and who are putting them to their hope in things that will not last. For you are eternal. Your salvation is beautiful. It is our only hope. And it's through your son's risen name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.